Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. It's a gift from the French people, in addition to all the gifts they've given to us over our life as a country from our revolution when they were side by side with us to uh, uh, the, uh, the great lady in the harbor, gift from the French people, and this uh, great uh, song in the disco era from Patrick Jouvet, which was a tribute to America. You couldn't even get... Americans to do a disco song that was patriotic, but Patrick Juve, well known throughout Europe, dedicated this song, which was I Love America, which has been the theme for so many immigrants coming to our shores and then their children and grandchildren and great grandchildren. But today, a very, very solemn occasion, the 21st commemoration of the attack on 9 11. And so WABC has been devoting programming all day long, not just Sunday, but we did it uh, on Saturday, and we really started it all off on Friday. 72 hours. You're not going to be hearing from any former royal chef describing cooking for the queen. No, 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 no. That's, That's not happening here at WABC because we're at the epicenter of what is America, free speech. Uh, and our ability to reach all of you with 50,000 powerful watts of sound, not just throughout the tri-state area, but once it becomes dusk in 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, and right on out to the Bahamas and Bermuda. And there's no doubt all people have their memories of where they were when the attack was first announced. Uh, We'll certainly uh, reminisce uh, about individual personal uh, feelings But we have in studio Governor George Pataki, who was at the helm of the state of New York at that time. Uh, And we have Randy Daniels, uh, Secretary of State, and Dan Weiss, who was the lieutenant colonel in the state police, many of whom were housed here for many, many weeks uh, after the attack to assist local law enforcement and federal law enforcement. And uh, first off, uh, Governor, extraordinarily special day because many of the key people who were involved in the decision-making of what to do after the attack, uh, assemble together each and every year down at World Trade Center site. So if you can just give us this, uh, your feelings on this very solemn occasion. I'll tell you, Curtis, the, the overwhelming feeling that I start with is sadness, you know, because almost 3,000 great New Yorkers, great Americans were murdered that morning. You know, it was a beautiful day. They just went to work expecting to have another uh, day in the office, and instead it ended in, in tragedy and catastrophe. And you just can't help but think of them and the loss. Uh, and then this morning, you see the family members. 21 years later, if you lost your son or daughter, your father or mother, it's not 21 years ago, it's this morning. And you can just sense their pain and the agony, and it's not going to go away. And it just has to remind us that we have to be constantly vigilant in protecting our freedoms because. Uh, those who attacked us before, there are those who want to do it again. And we just have to be 
conscious of that every single day. Bonnell Governor George Vitagi, I've heard you in many interviews leading up to the commemoration today say exactly that. We have to be awake. Look, I grew up in a household. My father was a merchant seaman. He taught me, remember the pearl, remember the pearl, and described graphically what happened in Pearl Harbor and what it led to. And then clearly it's our responsibility to let our children and grandchildren remind them of, remember 9-11, remember 9-11. But it seems we continue to make the same mistakes. We're asleep at the wheel as we were before Pearl Harbor, as we were before 9-11. And why do you think that is? Uh, as we can see that our enemies, they never rest. They could be in a, uh, a hovel in uh, Yemen or Afghanistan. They've got their laptop, their technology. They're waiting uh, for the perfect moment. Why do you think we always seem to lapse into this uh, feeling of it's never going to happen again? You know, I just, uh, you know, Americans are inherently optimistic, and that's a great thing about our people. We always look at the future, and it may be a little drizzly today, but the sun's going to shine tomorrow. And that's a great thing. But at the same time, you cannot forget the fact that there there are those who uh, not only don't want the freedoms that we take for granted. They resent the fact that we live in freedom. They resent that we have freedom of assembly, freedom of uh, speech, freedom of, to choose our own religion. Uh, and they are going to do their best to take it again. And, you know, I look at uh, our southern border, hundreds of thousands, million people crossing that border. Yes, most coming for a better life, but we know there are drug dealers, there are criminal cartels, and yes, there are terrorists. There are people coming across that border with one goal, and that's to do harm to America. Why we continue to allow that to happen, particularly on this tragic day, is something I can't understand. And, Curtis, if you think back, you were mentioning people in the caves and everything. Al-Qaeda had a safe haven in Afghanistan where they recruited, they trained, and they organized for those attacks just a couple of weeks ago, the leader of al-Qaeda was killed living openly in Kabul. Al-Qaeda is back in Afghanistan, back having a safe haven. And, uh, you know, we just cannot take our security for granted. We've made that mistake before. I just pray that our leaders don't make it again. Now, Governor Pataki, in the aftermath of uh, 9-11, uh, the Homeland Security Department was set up. Governor Ridge was put in charge, brand new operation. We were trying to get everyone on the same page because we learned a, a horrible lesson that with all the federal agencies, naturals, uh, national security agencies, FBI, CIA, none of them were on the same page. They weren't sharing information. We were sitting on a lot of this information. But we also created ICE. ICE was supposed to go after people who overstayed their visa here and prevent illegals from coming in with the idea that some of them might potentially be terrorists who wish to do us harm. And yet, when I walk around many of our states and cities where I have guardian angels, I mention ICE, and they well, we don't work with ICE. You know, sorry, it's a government agency. We're not permitted to work with ICE. Police Department, Curtis, we'd like to work with ICE, but we're not permitted to do so. How do we justify that when this very organization was created to prevent a future 9-11, especially the way it happened here where they, they came in uh, on visas, overstayed their visas, and then basically uh, implanted themselves to launch this attack. Curtis, it's just incomprehensible to me, uh, you know, how so many of the uh, political leadership just uh, either don't understand or don't care. 
you know, when you tell ICE, we're not going to work with you, they're, they're not bad people. Their job is to protect us and to find it, find the criminals, find the drug dealers, find the terrorists, and make sure we can get them either in jail or out of the country. And then not work with them is absurd. But, Curtis, you see it firsthand every day. They don't work with the police, their own police department that they are in charge of. And yet too often the police are demonized instead of supported. And it's just incomprehensible to me. It is horrible leadership. It is resulting in, as we see all over, horrible spikes in violent crime. Uh, And unless we're vigilant, we're going to see more attacks again against us from terrorist organizations. And it comes down to leadership and, and sadly, I don't want to be political on September 11th. This is a day for us to remember and honor those who died. But we need leaders that are going to stand with our police, stand with law enforcement, stand with ICE, protect our borders, uh, and try to make sure this never happens again. Now, as chief executive of New York, when you were governor 12 years, you were responsible for the education of the children throughout the state of New York, whether Buffalo to Brooklyn, up to Plattsburgh, rural areas, suburban areas, Uh, The state oversaw a lot of the curriculum. They could actually do an intervention in school districts if they weren't following uh, the rules and regulations of the Department of Education of the state of New York. I asked a bunch of young children as they returned to school, young adults, this this week, charter schools, parochial schools, public schools. And I even asked my own sons. They talk about 9-11 in school? Nope. Um... They say that maybe next week they're going to talk about it as part of the lesson plan. Nope. How are we going to convey this to our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, Governor, if there's little, if any, attempt to actually embed it into the curriculum, especially on the day in question, either leading up to it or directly after it? Well, Curtis, I can't tell you what's happening in the schools today, but I can tell you that New York State does require – the teaching of September 11th in our public schools. Uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, whether or not they're actually carrying it out, I can't say. But uh, uh, I thought it was important. The state thought it was important. And it is something that's required. But it's only required in a handful of states and in most of the country. I doubt if they talk about it much at all, which, uh, which is just sad. Uh, and there's only so much, as governor, I could do. We made sure that New York State requires the teaching of it. But one thing I could do, is create that memorial where people who weren't born on September 11th, and that was part of the idea. People who have maybe even not heard of it can come and see the magnitude of that attack, the the hideous nature of our loss, and also the courage and that courage courage with which we responded. And you know, I was there this morning, and I'm just so moved by the voids where the towers stood, the granite. Uh, uh, surrounding the voids with the names of every hero carved into them, the Freedom Tower rising above it. And uh, that was part of that, was to tell the story to people who weren't even born so they would understand the magnitude of what we went through. But we need to do more. Uh, um, It's appropriate that today is a day of mourning, but uh, we need to, to have a day of teaching so that people understand the consequences of when we look the other way in the face of terror. Well, if you could uh, sort of take us through a few of the steps initially, because if you've grown up in New York like I've grown up, you know initially that governors and mayors oftentimes are in conflict. I grew up in the era of uh, Nelson Rockefeller and John Lindsay, and they could not agree on anything. Luckily, we never had as severe an emergency as 9-11. It's, it's, there's nothing comparable. 
But even recently when Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio, so it doesn't even matter, parties, Democrats, fellow Democrats, Republicans, there's always that tension. Here it is, this major catastrophe. We're looking to hear from President Bush. He's not there. Dick Cheney, our vice president, not there. Really, nobody's speaking on behalf of our federal government. What suddenly brought you and Rudy together? Because now the eyes, not just the state of New York and the city of New York, but America, the world was on what was going to be coming from your voices in terms of how to describe it to us, how to guide us through this, because there was really no federal leadership initially. We were all wondering did they get the president? Were they after the vice president? They attacked the Pentagon. What else is going on? Remember, no Internet at that time, all misinformation. We're assuming that there's an all-out attack being launched. Sort of take us through those steps of what happened so that you and Rudy end up standing together and really become the voice for us to the whole world. Well, you're right, Curtis, that uh, uh, 21 years later we know that the attacks were over, essentially, that morning. But we didn't know it then, and we were very concerned what might happen next. And we had to be concerned because this is unprecedented. Uh, But the minute those attacks happened and the towers came down, I knew this was a crisis of of a magnitude that not just me but New Yorkers had never experienced before. Uh, And that is not a time to look to rush to the cameras or advance your political career. It's a time to stand together and get things done. So I called Rudy that morning right after the towers were hit and said, I'm in this city. We're more organizing our emergency command center, uh, mutual aid, National Guard's getting called up. We're taking all the steps. I'm here. You let me know what the city needs, and we will be here. Uh, and, of course, then the mayor was out of commission because his command center got destroyed. But later on that afternoon, and I think this is the most important decision I made in 12 years, Rudy called and said, we set up a temporary command center um, at the old police academy, and I, his whole team was there. And I thought for a minute, and I said, Rudy, we're coming right down. And I went to that building with my whole team and went into the same room. And from the afternoon of September 11th for months thereafter, the city was on one side of the table. The state was on the other side of the table. We never had any miscommunication. I thought you were going to do this or you were supposed to do that. We had a seamless response, and I knew we needed to have a seamless response to get through this magnitude. And later that evening, FEMA came in, the federal officials. They went to the same table in the same room. So, you know, I think back at things like Hurricane Katrina, where the response was a catastrophe. And you had the state blaming the city, the city blaming the feds, the feds blaming the state. There was none of that. And I knew we couldn't have any of that. And that decision to say, I'm going to have my whole team in the same room with the city's room, I think was the most important one I made. And by the way, Sitting to my side is uh, Randy Daniels, who was my secretary of state. And as we went through those weeks and months, Randy was the point person at that table all the time dealing with the city to make sure that we had this seamless response. Well, in fact, in addition, uh, we have former secretary of state uh, Randy Daniels uh, in our studios here at WABC on our day of commemoration for the attack on 9-11. We also have Daniel Weiss, who is lieutenant colonel uh, for the New York State Police who actually was at the pile when President Bush was there, gave that speech with the bullhorn that really brought us all together. When we come back, we got to talk about that because it is somewhat comparable to now. The nation was completely divided. After eight weeks, the Supreme Court determined that our president was Bush 43 and not Gore. Bush was a dirty word in New York City. I mean, he couldn't 
get anyone to even acknowledge him. How or oh how did our our nation come together, never mind our state and our city, coming off to such an election that so divided us along political lines? That could be a lesson for what's going on today. Again, continue to listen here to 770 AM WABC. We're not talking about royalty, monarchy. We're not talking about the queen. We're not talking about anything else. There's only one issue today we're talking about, and that's the 21st anniversary of the attack of 9-11. And it's something you have to convey to your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, because the further we get away from the actual attack, the less and less people seem to care or be interested or take the time to tell a new generation right here at WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. As we continue on with our commemoration here of the attack of 9-11, we've been doing this uh, all day Friday, all day Saturday, and we will continue to do it as I will be with you until uh, 12 midnight tonight, where it's always broadcasting Curtis WABC on the weekends, and I made it a focus that we really just drilled down on what's happening now in our country, what was happening then. And how do we bridge the gap? Because there are a lot of lessons that we learned from the attack in 9-11 that united all of us, no matter how how severe our differences. Uh, in the studios here, we have uh, former Governor George Pataki, former Secretary of State in his administration, uh, Randy Daniels, and uh, former Lieutenant Colonel of the State Police at that time, Daniel Weiss. So, Governor, here we are. Thursday night, I mean... I thought I had to do duck and cover. Remember as a kid, you know, when they said a nuclear bomb, if it's dropped, duck and cover. Except it was political duck and cover. I was looking at our president outside of Independence Hall. And my God, he was like, he was dropping political napalm. And then within 72 hours, former President Trump was in Pennsylvania campaigning for Dr. Oz and some of the other Republican candidates in the midterm elections. And boy, he was returning fire. And it was like mixing ammonia and bleach. And I'm saying to myself, in this kind of a situation where this political vitriol is being shot upon all of us, including independent voters who haven't yet made up their mind or just want to focus on the attack on 9-11, what is it we could learn from then that we could apply to today? Because a lot of people have said... You know, God forbid we were ever under attack again. Could our nation come together and heal the differences in order to be in solidarity? Curtis, a lot of it comes down to leadership. And you mentioned last Thursday's speech. And, you know, a leader doesn't intentionally try to divide people, demonize almost half the country for short-term partisan political gain. That's not leadership. That's cheap politics. And, And to be honest, I was totally appalled. Uh, because what we need is a leader who's going to strive to bring us together, to overcome the differences. And, you know, we had that after September 11th. The American people came together. And of all the horror, the one positive that came out of that was the sense that we didn't see ourselves as Republicans, Democrats, black, white, young, old. We were Americans. We had been attacked, and we were going to stand together. 
and and that lasted for quite some time. And and you look at us now, we are so divided. And I don't blame the people; I blame the leaders. And and when they deliberately demonize the other side, uh, it, it just hurts our country, you know. And this is a great country. Our country, if you look at from a human standpoint. We're doing well, but when you look at it from a political standpoint, the overwhelming majority, more than three-quarters of Americans, think we're headed in the wrong direction. Uh, and that's just a failure of leadership. And, uh, um, you know, I don't want to be overly politically on September 11th, but we need a leader that's going to bring us together uh, and look to the future and try to find a sense of common ground, uh, and we don't have that. Now, on Friday, uh, we heard from many of the members of Team Giuliani who were in office at the time when the attack had transpired, especially with John Katsimatidis, his 5 o'clock roundtable discussion, his normal contributors, Tony Carbonetti, who had been his chief of staff, Randy Washington, deputy mayor, uh, and actually Rudy himself. And they were able to explain from the city point of view what was the response. You've indicated, Governor, how quickly you came together with the with City Hall and all of their officials, and in the in our studio right now, Secretary of State uh, Randy Daniels, who was given the position of having to try to coordinate all of the state agencies' response, obviously dealing with the federal government, because again, uh, we didn't know where our president was, we didn't know where the vice president was, and naturally with all the city officials. Uh, Randy, what do you remember about that day and the awesome responsibility that you were tasked with to try to sort of connect all of these various agencies to respond quickly? The critical thing was leadership. And uh, Governor Pataki is an exceptional leader, and it was on full display from the moment the crisis began. And so the lesson I take away from that, leadership is essential, vision is essential. Uh, uniting people around a common purpose is absolutely critical in a country like ours, and Governor Pataki did that day in and day out. The other thing that uh, I remember as we walked through the streets together, how people responded to Governor Pataki's leadership. I mean, where else in America can you see a politician walking down the street, being applauded by people, being applauded by people because of the way he led us through that crisis. His instructions to me were very clear, and Governor Pataki is always clear. He said, I want you, Randy, to get the city whatever they need. He says, I don't want any BS. I don't want any red tape. If they need it, you get it. And if you have a problem, you talk to me. That is clear and decisive leadership because there were so many things to respond to. The other thing is that, you know, Governor Pataki united us as a city and as a state and ultimately as a country around our common and shared values as Americans. And that is sorely absent in the darkness that we are in today. And so uh, my sense is that Governor Pataki sets the model for the kind of leadership that we need and that we will need going forward. Uh, we have to look, look forward. We can't continue to look back in this country because there's too much to argue and fight about. 
But let's talk about the future. I'm a grandfather now. I think about what kind of life I want for my grandson and for my granddaughter who's on the way and who'll be here in January. And so leadership matters to me. Integrity matters to me. Uh, Uniting the American people around common values instead of this culture of nihilism that we have today where everything is questioned, nobody believes anything anymore. Uh, And I just, I, I think that is a wholesale assault on America at the end of the day because, yes, we've had problems. Yes, we stumbled out of the box as a country. Yes, uh, there's plenty to complain about, but there's also a great deal to be proud of. When I travel the world, Curtis, people ask me, Randy, why do you love America so much? And I've always said, because we can change our leaders. Can you? And usually the answer is no. Mm. So leadership matters, and uh, we need leaders who will give us a vision for the country. Uh, one that we can all rally around instead of finding ways to divide us. It seems to me that so many people get up every morning finding new ways to divide the American people. We need leaders who can unite us. And this was a classic example of what was necessary uh, and how you do it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the governor's plans are. Uh, and you know I'm never political on 9-11. But when I look at him, I see a leader. No, there's no no doubt. Uh, Governor Pataki. Randy, thank you. Curtis, I just, uh, what Randy said struck me about one thing, and that was walking the streets of New York. And I remember that evening. Randy, myself, my daughter Emily, and Colonel Weiss went down to the pile. And it was still, it burned for months. And the smoke was rising. You could taste the air. It was full of uh, vaporized uh, building or papers or whatever. Uh, And, you know, he talks about my leadership, but I'll tell you, looking at those firefighters on that burning pile, looking at the construction workers who weren't ordered there, they came there voluntarily cutting through that twisted steel, trying to save lives, looking at how people from every walk of life rushed to try to help. Now, that's leadership. And when you want to be inspired, yeah, you can look to a political leader, but I looked to that evening. And to those construction workers, those EMTs, those firefighters, those police officers, they're the ones who inspire me. And I think if we can look beyond our too often failing political leadership and look at the greatness of the people when they come together, there's no reason we can't believe in a much, much brighter tomorrow. Now, question for the both of you. Uh, I was on air 12 straight hours because, remember, when the towers came down, there was no TV. It was one of those times in our life where TV was not relevant. People could not get news and information from TV. They were dependent on radio. So people would, if they didn't have a radio, would stop and listen to a, a car radio or they get they had batteries in their uh, terrestrial radio for emergency situations, and they were forced to listen to us. It was difficult because we didn't have a stream of information. We had to actually debunk a lot of misinformation that was flying around and frightening people. But I remember after 12 straight hours on the radio, I then went down, uh, had to walk down because basically everything was in lockdown. Uh, I met some guardian angels there. We started to roam about, and I noticed that there was really no presence of the federal government yet. People were just randomly walking in and around the pile, and there's nothing, there's 
nothing, no pictures, no video that could ever equal what you saw, what I saw, what other people experienced. But it had to take a lot of coordination because people were walking around all over the place and in a very dangerous situation because, remember, at that point, engineers feared that any kind of vibration, if it was from any kind of equipment used to extricate the rubble, might cause the other surrounding uh, buildings also to come down. How long did it take all the agencies to get it together to put up the fence to then give out the cards that you had to have in order to have access because at first it was like organized mayhem, as you described it, all for the positive. But eventually there had to be that coordination. And any time you have government and all the bureaucracy, sometimes that can take quite a long time. I'll tell you, Curtis, the NYPD was obviously stretched to the hilt. So we brought in the National Guard and the state police. And the state police's first task was to create a security corridor to control who went to lower Manhattan. And the National Guard was helping with that. Uh, Another thing that we had to do is we were overwhelmed with volunteers from all over the country, from all over the world. And you couldn't have people just going down there and trying to climb onto the pile. So we created a volunteer coordination center at the Javits Center where we'd organize who was going to go down there. But, you know, uh, was it perfect? Absolutely not. Was it extremely well done? Yeah, for sure, because we did get the state police. We did get the National Guard. We did control who went down there. And I should probably make a citizen's arrest for you sneaking down there that, that <laughs> evening without permission. But, but I'll let it slide for now. Now, a question, because uh, many of the men and women who ran down there, they didn't have hazmat suits, they didn't have masks, gloves. It was none of that like we were used to in the, uh, in the aftermath of the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020. And so they took all risk. And then after a while, federal government was giving us mixed messages about being on that pile day in, day out. I remember being down there. It was the world's largest crematorium, the smell of death was everywhere, and as you pointed out, the toxic smell of the chemicals, the, the the burning that continued underneath the rubble. What was done wrong there? Because years later, when we tried to appeal to other elected officials around the country for additional funds to care for all those men and women who became ill, at first it was like extracting teeth. They didn't want to give the money. It was like, it's your problem. It's not there. What what coordinated effort transpired to suddenly get all those officials to scrape the barnacles off their backside and recognize it? this was an American attack, not just an attack on New York City? Well, it was about the health, and it was also about getting aid. Uh, you know, we weren't going to be able to rebuild lower Manhattan. We lost literally 20 million square feet of office space was either destroyed or damaged. We had no no power, no water, no sewer in lower Manhattan uh, for for well over a week, and we needed aid from the federal government. I remember going down to Washington and having senators tell me, you know, hey, this isn't our problem. You know, yeah, sorry about it, you know, but we're not going to help. But ultimately, I'll tell you, uh, President Bush was great on this, uh, and the Senate leadership, I met with um, uh, the the House Speaker at the time, the Senate Majority Leader at the time, who was from Tennessee, I forget it, uh, his name, but they were just great. Uh, and and Senator Grassley was the chairman of appropriations from Iowa. He said, we're going to get you whatever we, you need. And ultimately, they came through with the $20 billion that allowed us to rebuild lower Manhattan and rebuild New York's economy, which was dying at the time. On the health thing, federal government actually said the air was safe, and, and it wasn't. Uh, and I think 
now certainly everybody knows the air wasn't safe. But I'll tell you, they give you a mask. And I remember going down to Ground Zero so many times, and they give you a mask. You couldn't breathe through it. So you just take it off, you know. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to do was to encourage the workers, the firefighters and everything. And I didn't want to be giving them a hug wearing a mask. So you just don't – you just didn't do it. And the health consequences we've seen are enormous. And finally, thank God – Cooler heads prevailed, and there is now the, the, the funding for people who have been uh, at illness as a result of that. But, uh, you know, it ended up fine. It was a struggle, but better to struggle and get the right result than to give up and not. Well, it's the day that changed our lives forever, and New York's news talk leader right here at WABC, we've proven that we will never forget, not just during uh, the course of our normal programming 365 days of the year, but especially over the last 72 hours when we've been going round the clock. 77 WABC has joined the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for the special day of tribute today, September 11, 2022. Tunnel to Towers Foundation, 9-11 Remembrance, remembering 9-11 21 years later on 77 WABC. When we return, we'll speak with then-Lieutenant Governor... Lieutenant Colonel of the New York State Police, Daniel Weiss, who was on that pile when uh, Bush 43, our president, went up there with that bullhorn. And boy, that was a moment that really united us. But before he even got on that pile, I know from others who were with the president at that time, he was unsure of how he would be received uh, in New York City and especially at Ground Zero all right here on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. No talk of Buckingham Palace or what's going on over in England. No, 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 no. Not today. This is this is our most solemn occasion here in our lifetime. Obviously, it was Pearl Harbor for our parents and grandparents' generation, 9-11 for our generation. And hopefully there won't be another situation that our grandchildren, great-grandchildren will have to themselves conduct commemorations uh, over uh, but probably most significant at that time when the nation had to heal from a very divisive political campaign that led to uh, Vice President Gore being told after eight weeks uh, of a ballot counting and then deliberations before the United States Supreme Court is not your time. And Bush 43 uh, became the president of the United States. Uh, I, I know in just traveling the streets of the city, this was not Bush country. In fact, they hated Bush. You mentioned Bush's name, and it was normally followed by an F.U. He better not come here. This is before the attack on 9-11. He was not welcome here. And yet, when the attack uh, occurred and the president, uh, we didn't see him. We didn't see the vice president. We wondered what was going on in Washington. Governor George Pataki and obviously uh, Mayor Rudy Giuliani kept us together. And really, they were our national leadership. Where At that point, we didn't know where our national leadership was. But then the day came 
where the president of the United States was coming down to ground zero. It's coming to the pile. And uh, side by side with him, right by the pile, in that famous situation where you saw the retired firefighter standing on that rubble with uh, President uh, Bush at the time with that bullhorn, was the lieutenant colonel of the New York State Police, uh, Daniel Weiss, who is with us here in the studios today. Daniel, uh, describe for us what that moment was like, because I know there was a lot of potential uh, political tension in the air. This was not Bush country. Uh, He was not uh, thought of very highly after that contentious campaign. Yes, Curtis, that's 100% true, and thank you for all your service for the past four-plus decades all over the country. You've done a great job, and we met back in 1987, and I've never forgotten that day, too. But 9-11, when Bob was asked to come up onto the fire engine with the, with the president, it was tense. It was very tense. Uh, the president had driven over. Uh, he spoke. Uh, he addressed the country, and you could see the people coming alive, which was a nice thing to actually witness standing there in the crowd. When it ended, he handed this bullhorn to Governor Pataki, who was closest to him. Governor Pataki handed it to me. I tried to give it to the Secret Service. They wouldn't take it. Next to me was Senator Schumer. I wasn't letting go of the bullhorn in fear (laughs) that where would it wind up. So I handed it to one of my guys that was NYPD officer, Bobby Mastrodi. I said to him, do me a favor. Get this into the governor's truck. Let's secure it. We'll figure it out later on. From there, we all went up to the Jacob Javits Center, uh, where the president wanted to meet the families that were waiting for news. And I immediately made a couple of phone calls. I called Superintendent Jim McMahon. I explained to him, I have this. I want you to know I have it. I then called the uh, uh, Inspector General of the State of New York, Roz Moskov. I explained to her, we have this, and we're going to secure it. Uh, With me was Jerry McQueen, who was running the Javits Center at those days, retired NYPD. PD detective and another great, great NYPD officer. We did. We secured it. We put it away. Uh, the president came back a few days later to have pizza with the firemen. Karen Hughes was there. I knew Karen from when uh, the president was the governor of, of Texas. I explained to her, I said, I have this. I need some guidance. And she said, my God, we thought it was lost forever. Protect it with your life, which is obviously what we did. I had put it into a Harley Davidson leather bag that my Daily clothes used to stay in. It never came out until I got a call from uh, the White House in late January of the next year. Uh, Believe it or not, it was from a woman named Dana, Dana Perino, who was working in the White House and said, we needed to bring it to the White House. And I said, uh, well, first, we have to let the governor know we have it. And there was silence. She goes, what do you mean the governor doesn't know you have it? I was instructed by Karen Hughes to protect this thing with my life. Nobody knows what. But we got it together. We were able to go to the White House in February of 2002 and return it. But that day was similar to 2001 itself. It was magical. Things came together. Everybody worked together. And it was just an incredible thing to be a part of, as you know. Uh, Even watching it today, again, on television, it just, you know, it's hard to watch. Well, Lieutenant Governor, uh, I'm sorry, Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Weiss, um, I happened to see what the state troopers were doing because we were broadcasting uh, on the 17th floor of Madison Square Garden, uh, Tupin Plaza. And across the street, they were housed in the Hotel Pennsylvania. So you saw the state trooper vehicles all around the block. You saw the men and women uh, spending 18, 20 hours a day assisting other law enforcement in any capacity they can do. 
they never really got the kind of attention and recognition that they were due because we just assumed, oh, there they are with the Smokey the Bear hats, you know, the gray uh, flannel outfits. And uh, did you sort of describe not only their role, but the fact that there's never been a complaint or never been anyone who said, hey, what about us? You know, we were down there. We've become ill as a result of exposure. You yourself, Dan, have suffered uh, medical complications because of uh, exposure. Uh, this should be a time when people understand the role of the state police uh, in being down at the pit. Yes, it was tough. We were put into a position where we drew people from every corner of the state of New York, from Buffalo, from Messina, everywhere. The guys came down. Some of them were brand new. Some of them hadn't been to the city before. You see them looking up at the tall buildings, but they all were committed. Not one of them ever complained. We immediately got a phone call, get them out of that hotel. It's full of everything but what it should be. We did. We moved the troopers right away to a, a more palatable place, and they stayed here for better than six months. No complaints. They did their jobs. And, yes, we've had from every corner of the state guys that have become sick and, unfortunately, passed away. I lost two of my own detail to date that have died from 9-11. It's been tough, and we have more. We have more that are sick. I just saw that uh, the current governor has decided to take another look at what's happened to the troopers because they're not going by the same rules. I don't want to get political here. Excuse me for that. But they do have to be handled the same way. They have to be gone by the federal rules that say if you were there, you spent the time, then it's presumptive evidence that this was caused. We haven't gone by those rules. We've gone by the rules where the state says prove it. And the guys haven't been treated properly. So hopefully with these new changes, I'm hoping that they're going to get what they need because they deserve it. They really do. Then Secretary of State Randy Daniels, uh, one of the things that people realized when the officials were congregating down at the pit in Ground Zero was the dearth of American flags. I mean, here was the president of the United States, leader of the free world. And they couldn't find an American flag. I think they had to go all the way into Chinatown to a local public school. They had to go one flight, two flight, three flights to try to find American flags. And then soon, all of Americans, many of whom would never fly the flag, were buying flags that we had increased production from mainland China, Red China, because we didn't have enough flags. What was that like? I mean, the search for an American flag. I remember that you, when you mentioned it earlier, it, 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 regenerated in my mind, and, and that was a challenge. Uh, I think it was a statement about us uh, as Americans and New Yorkers uh, about the flag. I know that I started flying the flag on my house after that and uh, still do. Uh, it, it, it's strange uh, when you when – when you, everything you believe in, in, everything you know is certainly challenged – uh, uh, by uh, foreign terrorists uh, determined to wreak havoc on our country. Uh, the flag instance uh, tells us a little bit about ourselves, and we've gotten better. One of the things, uh, the benefits of 9-11, you know, having lost over almost 3,000 people, it caused us to look inside ourselves. It caused us uh, to, instead of turning on each other, coming together in a way this city has never seen, probably before and certainly since. We had a sense. This is our city. This is our state. This is our country. And we are not going to accept this. 
I, I can remember a light moment during all of this as we gathered together each day uh, with, with the city administration and Mayor Giuliani and Governor Pataki and, and, and the cabinet. Uh, and we would go through all of the things that needed to be done, all the things that had happened overnight. One of the enduring problems was uh, false bomb uh, uh, alerts and, and people calling in uh, uh, these, making these calls about a bomb is here, a bomb is there. And we, and, and we had to divert resources to go deal with that because we didn't know at the time. Well, I remember Governor Pataki well, uh, got angry and said, you know, we need to make an example of someone who does this sort of thing in the middle of a crisis like this. Because the criminals had gotten the message. Crime dropped almost nothing. When we would get the crime report, we were amazed at how everybody had a sense of our city was under attack and we've got to pull together. Well, the next day there was, uh, uh, in the crime report, uh, Commissioner Carrick uh, said they made an arrest that night of someone who had called in a bomb threat. And he said, we arrested him in Rikers. Hmm. <laughs> so we got, a, we got a bomb threat from Rikers. We said, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. The next day, he says, we made another arrest. Uh, and it was a guy who phoned in a false bomb threat from a pay phone in front of a police precinct. And they literally went outside and arrested him. So we got a, a moment's chuckle, you know, uh, out of that. Uh, at a time of tremendous pressure and strain uh, on us all. But I came away from all of it feeling basically this, Curtis. On our worst day, the very best in us as New Yorkers came out. We were at our best. I was never more proud to be a New Yorker than that day. And I understood, as many people have come to understand, that Americans have great resolve. Slow to anger, uh, uh, slow to act, but an enormous resolve that we will find the people who did this and they will be held accountable. Uh, and they were, and the accountability has not stopped. And that's how we have to be as a, as, as a country. You can't lose interest, you can't get bored, and you certainly should never forget the sacrifice of all of those people. I mean, one of my jobs as Secretary of State was oversight of uh, fire department training and the arson investigation unit. And what I walked away from, from all of that, was how dedicated these people were. 344 firefighters died that day. Uh, I attended 40 funerals for firefighters that got to know their families. And they are extraordinary people. Very, very, very committed uh, to to the job they were called to do. They didn't hesitate. They went in those buildings to try to save people, and many of them lost their lives because of it. We should never forget that. It should be taught in our schools. History does not begin the day you were born. There's a lot of history that precedes you, and if it informs your view of the world I think it's a better and safer future for us all. We must understand that this is a recurring threat. Well, that's why we here at WABC have dedicated 72 hours of programming leading up to the commemoration today on September 11th to everything that happened before, during, and after 
the attack in 9-11. And 77 WABC joins the Tunnel the to Towers Foundation for a special day of tribute through the rest of the day. In fact, it will be a outing, a gathering of many of the key people who were intrinsically involved in bringing together so many people over at the Empire Steakhouse, uh, owned and operated by Jack uh, Sinjaya. Uh, and uh, it'll be just a continuation to make sure that we don't forget, we never forget, and WABC will keep that memory alive. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. As we continue here, our commemoration of 9-11, then-Secretary of State Randy Daniels, people don't realize a primary was underway that day. The Democrats had a very heated primary between Mark Green and Fernando Ferrer. Governor Pataki had to give the order to cease the election because, obviously, the city was paralyzed. All transportation was stopped. All movement was stopped. When they opened up the machines, Fernando Ferrer was ahead. And by the over-under point spread, would have become the Democratic nominee. With the delay of the election, everybody was able to regroup. Democrats said, well, I don't know if Freddie Ferrer could handle the recovery of New York City at this desperate time. And then uh, Mark Green ended up winning the primary. Went on to lose against Michael Bloomberg, who again was given a boost because then people looked to say, oh, we need a businessman. But prior to uh, the attack on 9-11, he was down to the Democrats by, I mean, dozens of points. Remember that. And was not going to be able to make up the difference. And yet we didn't hear any complaints because I think everybody recognized, yes, of course we had to put a hold on the primary. We had to continue on and focus on what was uh, problem number one, which was to keep the city, the state, and the country together. I had just voted hmm. uh, when the uh, when the second plane hit. I, I lived in Harlem, in Sugar Hill, and I was walking back to my car, and my driver said, a second plane has hit, and then I knew immediately, okay, this is a full-scale attack, and I immediately uh, we rushed downtown to the governor's office where he had convened uh, senior members of the, of the cabinet to deal with a lot of issues that we don't even think about today. We had no idea how many people were in the World Trade Center at that time. Had that attack taken an hour later, uh, it could have been much, much worse. Uh, We didn't know the structural integrity of those buildings. We had to bring in experts to tell us. And as you know, before noon, both buildings were down. Yes. Uh, that was staggering uh, for us. Uh, the other thing I think that's really important uh, to think about is how the city came together to support uh, the first responders. If you remember down the West Side Highway, people lined up with food and drinks and uh, fruit for the first responders. And uh, there were things we had to think about. So many volunteers came in. We had to go through a process of checking the credentials of the people who were there to make sure that those who claim to be doctors, nurses, that they actually were. But we did it. We pulled together, and we demonstrated 
the best of who we are. I'm very proud of, of New York and the way we responded, and I hope that America can learn something from today. And we're very proud of how the Pataki administration, which included you as Secretary of State, responded. They weren't necessarily given the attention at first, but as more and more of the stories come forward as we commemorate and we remember, we see just how important your roles were. Thank you. Thank you, Secretary of State uh, Randy Daniels. Thank you for having me, Curtis. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. As we continue our commemoration uh, on this date in which we were attacked, and really the free world was attacked as leaders of the free world, it came right at New York, the economic epicenter of the world. And uh, I am appalled at what I have seen in such lack of coverage leading up to 9-11, the 21st uh, anniversary, on this uh, hollow day, and what will be the follow-up. First of all, if I have to see another report about the former royal chef describing cooking for the queen and his fond memories, what the hell are we watching crap like that for? When this is our day, we were attacked. This was our Pearl Harbor. What are we doing with a commemoration about Queen Elizabeth, who died at like 96? You know, eventually you die. You don't live forever, although there are some people who believe in royalty and monarchy. It's like they're the children of God. Bull feathers. And then i got to watch the coffin begins the farewell trip and journey to Edinburgh and Scotland. And they're following this this entire motorcade every step of the way. When I was a kid, they did that for JFK after his assassination. That's understood. It's America. Why the hell are we being forced on no matter what TV screen you see? Here goes the queen, removed to Edinburgh. Uh, her son, the king, will be joining tomorrow. And the dysfunctional, decadent, debaucherous, deadbeat family. Uh, there might as well be a Disney World, you know, like Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse, are like all of a sudden dancing and celebrating. I thought this was a wake. I thought it was a solemn occasion. Why? And now we're being told Operation Unicorn is underway in the U.K. It's like, I, I don't care about that. Ladies and gentlemen, where is the revulsion? This is our commemoration, our solemn holiday. And our own media is giving the bulk of the attention not to what transcribed in 9-11, you know, for a brand-new generation that maybe hasn't been exposed to this, but they're being exposed to everything going on in England. England? that we went to war against in order to win our freedoms in the Revolutionary War so that we wouldn't have to bow, buck, curtsy, and kiss the hand of the royal family? 
and fly the Union Jack? No, the Stars and Stripes. What the hell has gone wrong with us? Oh, yeah, a little bit of coverage, you know, today at the commemoration there. You know, we had Giggles Harris there, the vice president. And what was that presentation by President Joe Biden in the white trench coat at the Pentagon? Hey, Stu not. you're supposed to stop when the commemoration takes place. First tower implodes, second tower implodes, ring, ring, ring. Shut your mouth, Mr. President. No, he just keeps, like a male yenta, on, oh, we got to preserve democracy. I thought I was going to hear the second coming of his battleground speech on the front steps of the uh, Independence Hall in Philadelphia on Thursday night when he he dropped political napalm on anybody who disagrees with him or how dare they wear a MAGA hat and support former President Donald Trump. We have lost our mind. King Charles meets with Commonwealth leaders. Who the hell cares? What significance is the royal family to us here in America? What significance? How do they have an impact on our lives? You know there are some terrorists around the world in hovels, in caves, in Afghanistan that we gave up on, in Yemen, in other ports of call, who will never forgive, will never forget. For them, it's a blood feud. It's a vendetta. And they see our weakened state. How many of you have thought with the early retirements, the normal retirements, and police officers being recruited by other municipalities and county uh, sheriff's departments and police departments all over the country, that we're down to 34,000 police officers at dangerous level. A 1,000 have been assigned to anti-terrorism duties. Are you going to tell us we haven't lost any of those men and women? Specifically trained, experienced in a field that is our first line of defense of a future attack, And when I call, you know, the department, uh, can you give us any figures in terms of how many less police officers we have assigned to anti-terrorist activity? No, we can't give you that information. Can't give us that information, huh? Because if you did, we'd be appalled. And the enemy would know how very weak we are. And as we're sort of like uh, supposed to be in mourning and sitting shiver for 11 days for the death of the queen. At 96, by the way, you know, people die. 96, oh, God, the whole world, oh, my God, she died. Yeah, we all knew she was going to die. And those enemies are out there, whether they're al-Qaeda, whether they're ISIS, and they sense a weakness in America now that once again they can take advantage of. We were asleep at the wheel, 1993, in that first attack. Asleep at the wheel. Nobody was awake. Nobody had read the signs of an impending attack. Nobody was listening to the conversations as he went from mosque to mosque in Jersey City and Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. Who am I talking about? The inspiration for the first attack in 1993. Who was that? Sheikh Omar Abdel Rahman. How can you forget him? The blind-eyed, Santa Claus hat-wearing imam of hate who would give his speeches in these mosques on Friday, the day of prayer, Juma, on Jersey City and on Atlantic Avenue and would say, death to the big Satan, America. Death to the small Satan, Israel. All of this going on in our backyard. And we claim to have been oblivious. 
And then all of a sudden it was Ramsey Youssef. Ah, well, let's see. Ramsey Youssef. It was a very incestuous situation. Ramsey Youssef, who was from Pakistan, his uncle was Khalid the Schmuck the Sheikh Mohammed, who was still being held in Gitmo for having masterminded the attack of 9-11. This uh, uncle of Ramsey Youssef, who was eventually caught as he fled Manila in the Philippines after the attack of uh, the World Trade Center with that rider truck laden with bombs in the belly of the World Trade Center that almost tipped the one building into the other building, and oh, my God, they would have succeeded in their mission. But Ramsey Youssef was already planning the second attack, and the second attack involved strategizing the actual taking of airplanes holding the crew, holding the passenger hostages, and then flying those airplanes into office buildings where in New York City. They had no eyes for any other city, not Chicago, not Los Angeles, nowhere else. They wanted to hit New York City again, the World Trade Center. They wanted to finish the job that they felt needed to be finished. So Ramsey Youssef, luckily for us, there was a fire in his apartment in Manila. He fled. The... uh, The officials in Philippines were able to procure his uh, hard drive, turn it over to our CIA. We broke it down and we saw what the plan was, to fly airplanes into buildings. We knew what the plan was going to be. Did we do anything? Nope. Because, uh, see, there were like 12, 13 uh, various agencies at the federal level that were involved in National Security Association matters none of whom were communicating with one another because they were all omnipotent, they were all pretentious, they were all separate, independent, and autonomous, and they weren't sharing the information. And as a result, the terrorists, the enemies of America, were making strides in the ultimate plan to hit the World Trade Center again with the skyjacked airliners, which they successfully did. The plan was Ramsey Youssef's. The salesperson for it was Uncle Khalid the Schmuck the Sheikh Mohammed with his uh, white long robes, his shmata, and his henna beard. And he went into the caves of Afghanistan to uh, Al-Qaeda's leader Osama bin Laden, the evil seed from Saudi Arabia, the house of fraud, many of whom that were supporting Al-Qaeda. He came from a family that owned the largest construction company in all of the Middle East and Persian Gulf, the Bin Laden family. And they're trying to say, oh, he was the black sheep, bull feathers, bull feathers. And so Khalid the Sheikh Mohammed, the schmuck, sits down with Osama Bin Laden and convinces him like a good salesman, this will work. We skyjack airliners. We then crash them into the World Trade Center. We take it down once and for all. And all of a sudden, Al-Qaeda's leader, Osama bin Laden, said, sounds like a plan to me. Can you execute it? Yes. And then they began to unfold a plan that involved having having these uh, members of Al-Qaeda come in with visas, supposedly to learn how to fly, to get higher education, They overstayed their visas. Some of them were living in Patterson, New Jersey, West Patterson, New Jersey. In fact, if you happen to be living in that town, they changed the name of West Patterson to a different name because they didn't want to be considered the uh, epicenter of all Al-Qaeda activity. The Al-Qaeda handbook said, blend in, 
smoke reefer, drink beer, go to strip clubs, buy fancy cars. Don't act like you're a pious, observant Muslim bowing five times a day to Mecca and Medina. And they successfully blended in. And then when that day of infamy came, they attacked with a vengeance, and we were all asleep. The Clinton administration had been asleep on so many occasions with uh, al-Qaeda's Osama bin Laden. It's sort of like he had an easy pass to do whatever he wanted. Hey, hey, Bill Clinton, we got him here in the Sudan. Got him in the Sudan. You want him? This was Bashir, the totalitarian dictator. Bill Clinton, nah, nah, we're not going to take him. We got him here. He's right here. We, well, we'll deliver him. No, no, not going to take him. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of the uh, Michigash involving Monica Lewinsky and the blue stain dress, what did Bill Clinton do uh, with our cruise missiles? He hit that aspirin factory in the Sudan saying, yeah, you see, we're going after Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda. Bull feathers, bull feathers. And then the attack of 9-11, and Team Bush was asleep at the wheel. Yeah, asleep at the wheel. There was no guidance whatsoever from Bush or Cheney or anyone else. We have only ourselves to blame, only ourselves to blame, and it's going to happen again. Look at all the signs. It's like we're bears in hibernation. We're in a deep sleep. We are weak. Our enemies saw what happened in Afghanistan, our retreat. They've embedded themselves. We killed a lot of people there. We killed a lot of their people. We killed a lot of terrorists. We dropped a lot of napalm. We dropped a lot of bombs. Do you think they just suddenly turn over a new leaf of life? We forgive, we forget. Hell no, don't you understand? They made a solemn oath to jump on that Paradise Express and go to Allah's side and take as many of us as they can with them. They expect to die. That's the enemy. Israel understands that. They live with the enemy surrounding them and amongst them on a regular basis. We we go about our normal business. Ah, 9-11 was. You know, a bunch of old fogies there, you know, commemorating. Didn't even have discussions in our schools upon return to school this week. Now, I can't speak on behalf of all schools, but I certainly talked to enough parents and teachers who send their children at parochial schools, religious schools, charter schools, public schools. Can't say uh, that I spoke to parents who do homeschooling. I didn't hear now one of them say, yeah, you know, the teachers say they talk about 9-11. What the hell is wrong with us? We're not even discussing 9-11. We had Governor Pataki said it was mandated by law that the Department of Education of the state of New York requires everyone receiving funds for education. That includes private schools, parochial schools, but most importantly, public schools, that they set aside time to discuss with a new generation the impact, the effects of 9-11. And you know what they were talking about in freaking school? The death of a 96-year-old queen in England that has no relevance to us. Oh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and Prince William and who the hell gives a freak? I need my kids learning about that in school instead of 9-11. Why, why did that happen? I want my children to be able to ask me, Daddy, Daddy, could you explain more? I heard this in class today. We saw a video 
We saw a documentary. The teacher was telling us, tell us what it was like, Daddy. I know you were around. You were broadcasting on WABC. I've seen the pictures. You and the Guardian Angels were down at the pit. You were helping the cops, the firefighters, the first responders. Tell us what it was like. Nothing. Can any of you tell me out there that we are doing due diligence to this new generation to educate them about the attack on 9-11. Is anyone out there who can say as a teacher, as someone involved in our vast public school educational system, private schools, parochial schools, charter schools, did you put aside any talk time in your classes to actually discuss 9-11, or maybe you're going to get in on the rebound. Oh, Curtis, uh, don't bust, bust a few blood vessels. We're going to be talking about it, you know, tomorrow when school reconvenes. Bull feathers. No, you're not. God forbid, you know, if, you know, we don't want to talk about death and destruction. You know, it, it might traumatize some of the children, you know. We don't want them to have an emotional moment. We don't want to show pictures of people jumping off the Twin Towers. We don't want to show pictures of the Twin Towers burning. We've erased all of that. We are not showing what actually occurred in real time. And then other than this morning, the announcement of the names in remembrance of 9-11, we've seen the elected officials down there, many of them Democrats, who cursed the name of ICE. ICE started in the aftermath of the attack on 9-11 as part of Homeland Security. ICE that would prevent people overstaying their visas like these Al-Qaeda attackers did to take advantage of our poorest borders. Going after illegal aliens, criminal illegal aliens, to prevent future attacks. And what do we do? We call them thugs. Former Governor Cuomo, they're thugs. Eric Adams, our mayor, they're thugs. No cooperation with ICE, Limigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service, who hold the key to knowing who are the people going in and out of our country and with a general idea of what purpose they have in mind. You're not to talk with ICE. You're not to talk with Limigre. You're not to talk with Immigration and Naturalization Service. These are federal agencies. And we don't want to prevent another attack. ICE is evil. And Al-Qaeda isn't. ISIS isn't. Newfound groups of terrorists. You think with what little they have to do all day, tend some goats in the middle, you know, outside of Amman, Jordan, that uh, they're actually going to say, hey, you know, let me uh, sort of rethink this. I was brought up to be a jihadist. I've pledged myself to blood revenge. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's what they believe. They're going to come at us. And right now, we're an easy target again. Think of all the different ways they could come at us now, right across that border from Mexico. What's the vetting process? They don't even check your papers. They're able to come right into the heart of the epicenter of where they want a third opportunity for them Three times is the charm to hit New York City again. And what's the rationale as Ramsey Youssef was flown in a helicopter by the CIA over the World Trade Center? Ramsey, why did you guys pick the World Trade Center for both your attacks? Because we figure that's where the most number of Jews were in one shot. It's coming from the mastermind of the first attack. 
and obviously who had created the plans for his uncle Khalid, the schmuck, the Sheikh Mohammed, now in Gitmo, who will probably be there for the rest of his life because we won't put him to death, who then was able to convince al-Qaeda's Osama bin Laden that it was a workable plan. All of that was on the radar screen, and we were asleep at the wheel. Feel proud to be an American today as we learn all about the royalty, the dysfunction, the decadence, the debauchery, the nonsense of their Disneyland creatures over there. Instead of talking about what is most important to us here, the preservation of our freedom, the preservation of our security, and to prevent another attack like 9-11, not just here, but anywhere in the United States. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. And let me talk to all of our listeners out there in the Irish Riviera. From Breezy Point to Neponset, to Rockaway Beach itself, to Broad Channel, when you looked up and you saw the towers were in flames and the implosion of one tower followed quickly within an hour by the implosion of the other tower. Many of you Irish-Americans, proud Irish-Americans, Roman Catholic Irish-Americans, are you part of this idolatry of the royal family in England? Do you not know your history? If you are, take a shredded shillelagh and impale yourself. And think about how many of your family members and friends ran into those burning towers and got flattened and just totally destroyed into smithereens where they couldn't even find the DNA. Ladies and gentlemen, the one thing I benefited from is that my Red Beret is leader of the Guardian Angels and being a talk show host at WABC gave me entree into places in the aftermath of the attack that many of you never saw. And I'm not talking about the pile. Ongoing, burning, the world's largest crematorium, the smell of death there for months on end, the chemical toxic waste in the air, the Christine Todd Whitless, former governor, of the state of New Jersey and EPA chief this for Bush 43 said, oh, there are no toxins in the air. What a double disgraziata. What a double shanda. Every time I see that woman, I say, really? Really? And when some of the first responders said, shouldn't we have masks? Shouldn't we have gloves? Shouldn't we have respirators? Ah, yes, yeah, pure. It's clean, right? Christine Todd Whitless, you will burn in hell for what you said, for all the suffering that was incurred in the aftermath of the first responders continuing to uh, to heed their commitment to go into the belly of the beast. And then there are the untold heroes that many of you know little, if anything, about. All the debris was putting uh, put into these huge barges and barged over to Staten Island, the Fresh Kills landfill, it had been the world's largest open-air landfill for many, many years until Rudy Giuliani was elected mayor, Guy Molinari, the borough president in Staten Island, and they closed that dump. Thank God they did. 
but it was used as the final resting spot for much of the debris as it was taken from uh, the barges and brought to the top of the garbage dump. And I saw men and women, valiant men and women, who were on their hands and knees with little rakes, and they were going through all the particulae to try to find any remnant of anyone who had been flattened into death, in which there was no remnants whatsoever. Maybe maybe it was a little piece of a wallet. Maybe it was a a little fabric from a, a personal item of theirs. Maybe it was their DNA so that closure could be brought for their family. They had a morgue up there. They also brought all of the um, all of the vehicles that had been flattened from the fire department, the police department, the other responding agencies, all up there. Auto division was there from the NYPD, fire department personnel, EMTs, all of them, 24-7, going through the debris on their hands and knees with little rakes, many of them getting sick, many of them who would die a horrible death as a result of their service, high on that garbage dump hill of fresh kills. And when I was there on the two occasions, uh, there was a drizzle very similar to what we've seen today. And you would see bubbles coming up from the fresh kills landfill. And what was that? The bubbles were the methane gas escaping from the garbage that had been buried for decades below. Methane gas, a killer. Any commemorations there? I know they had a commemoration tonight on the north shore of Staten Island where they have the monument in the shadow of Ferry Hawk Stadium and the ferry itself, and that's good. But you know where they really need to do the commemoration? High atop the closed Fresh Kills Dump, which is now a state park. How many men and women doing service there became seriously ill with all kinds of thyroid issues, cancer issues, breathing issues, And died horrible deaths. Story not told. Other stories not told. How many private security officers who were assigned to the different floors of both World Trade Center towers did not leave their posts? They could have easily run. They could have easily tried to escape knowing that their lives were imperiled. And yet they stayed on their posts. I remember in the aftermath of 9-11, their families got together. Some of those who ran the security agencies got together, but the whole world ignored the fact that many of them died. They did not leave their post. They were crushed and smashed into smithereens like so many others. Boy, how quickly we forget. And then we got to look at this Michigash on TV, 24-7-365. Former royal chef describes cooking for the queen, his fondest memories. For those deadbeats. That have no impact, no consequence on anybody's life. You would think there'd be wall-to-wall coverage today on the commemoration 21st anniversary of 9-11 as first responders are still dying horrible deaths. And as you heard, the lieutenant colonel, Dan Weiss, was here, who himself has serious medical issues as a result of his service and his leadership of the state troopers. State troopers are not even covered. State troopers are not even coming. Oh, Kathy Crimewave Hochul decided, let me take a second look at that, and maybe they should be included. What a disgrace. Oh, how, how's the royal family doing? Oh, my God. 
oh, can I, can I go over there? Can I cross the pond? Can I curtsy? Can I bow? Can I kiss their fat asses? What the hell is wrong with us? What is wrong with us? And it's going to happen again. As we are asleep at the wheel. No education of this. No commitment to make sure this doesn't happen again. How many Arab Americans who are involved in our national security organizations, nameless, faceless individuals, who every day listen to conversations of our enemies who are planning an attack. Yep. Thank God for them. They're able to translate and figure out, connect the dots. How many drones we fly, our CIA flies, hunting out these terrorists who every day their whole life is committed to destroying America and to finish the job that was started twice at the World Trade Center, 93-9-11, and it'll be another attack. You guarantee there'll be another attack. They are fixated on it. They are obsessed in completing this. They don't mind dying and getting on the Paradise Express and going right on up to Allah's side. That's all they got going in their lives. Meantime, the rest of us, hey, let's, let's see what's happening. Look, look at this. I'm looking at all these. United Kingdom mourns death of Queen Elizabeth. The whole world is in mourning. Hell no, I'm not in mourning. I'm in mourning for those that died on 9-11. I'm in mourning for those who continue to die, who continue to suffer as a result. That's who I'm in mourning for. Not for their Disney World characters. The queen, the king. Biggest welfare cheats in the world. And if you happen to be Irish, you should take a shred of chillelli. You should really impale yourself. If you're Jews, right, they put you in concentration camps when you fled the Holocaust. They said, no, you can't go to Palestine. We're going to put you in Cyprus. We're going to put you behind barbed wire with towers. We're going to put you in internment camps. Yeah, her royal majesty and all those deadbeats. God. God saved the queen. Why? God saved the king. Really? Better not be my God, because I'll tell you that much, I have nothing to do with that God. Let's go to Paul, who's calling from Westwood. Your turn to be heard here at WABC as we commemorate 9-11. We're not talking any royalty nonsense. Thank God. Thank God you're not talking about that. I'm getting sick and tired of hearing about that. Nobody's bringing up 9-11. Paul, can you imagine that this, our solemn day? And we're talking about these deadbeats, this dysfunctional family that has no responsibilities in life, has no consequences to what happens in the real world. And we're focused on them and not our dead and those who continue to suffer and die. I was there. I got there on the 13th. I got a mayor's pass on the 13th. I stood there for six months pulling debris from... The main pile to the barges, then we went to Staten Island. You hit it right on the head. The devastation was just unbelievable. You didn't see no bodies. You seen shoes, a lot of shoes, because everybody was pulverized. It was just the most destruction I've ever seen. It was just, and people that went there, like right now, I'm going through it with 9-11. I just, I've had three heart attacks. They just found something on my lung. So now I'm going to I'm going to have to go through all this. I'm 58 years old. 
And well, it's, it's just crazy. How how quickly we forget 21 years later, you have to go through this, others have to go through this, and we're like, uh, we're, we're counting pennies, nickels, and dimes. We have a $30 trillion debt that Democrats and Republicans unheaped on us, and now we're deciding, well, I don't know if there's any money for you, uh, Paul. I don't know if there's any money for anyone who served down there in proximity to the world's largest crematorium that was filled with toxic waste in the air, and then Christine Todd Whitless, who emerges now, former governor of New Jersey, was the EPA uh, princess, and told us all the air was clean. The air was clean, Paul. No, it wasn't. That's why. That's why the uh, the first thirty uh, first forty floors of the World Trade Center, the lawyer sued because of the asbestos. He sued before the building was even built, and that's why they knew all the asbestos was in the uh, in the building. And the dips, you know, it was just you smelt it down there. You were there. You smelt it. It was just death. It was just death. Paul, Paul, tonight, if you have the opportunity, please listen when I return from 9 to 11. I'm going to speak about all the asbestos that was never put on the iron steel cross beams above the 40th floor. You know who had the contract for that, Paul? Oh, I I, I couldn't even imagine. The Gambino crime family. Imagine this. And they didn't put the asbestos on the cross beams in order to pocket the money. That's why the World Trade Center imploded so quickly. That's why engineers and architects were shocked because they said, wait a second, we understand a plane could crash into the World Trade Center like a plane crashed into the Empire State Building long ago and fire did not consume the building. Fire consumed, it traveled like a fireball because at the top levels, Paul, there was no asbestos. And a guy named De Bono, who was a soldier of John Gotti Sr., had the contract. He pocketed the money, and they never sprayed the asbestos on the steel cross beams. Never did. Yeah. Hey, well, you, don't, you, don't, you don't hear that story, do you, Paul? Yeah. No, you don't. Now, now you see, what I would do is Curtis Lee with Paul. Say, who gave that contract? What state official? Because it's a state Port Authority project. What state official oversee the contract to spray asbestos on the steel cross beams and girders of both World Trade Center buildings? Who signed off on that? Who got wine dined and pocket lined by the Gottis and the Bonos? You know, Sammy the Bull Gravano, he's a rat. He's still alive. He eats the Parmesan cheese. He tells the story. He was upset at DeBono because he wasn't getting his kickback. They ended up whacking DeBono because he kept the money. But the asbestos never went up. That's why you got to listen tonight from 9 to 11 because I know where all the bones are buried and who buried them. And nobody else is telling that story. So when you're at the Rockaways, the Irish Riviera, Breezy Point, the Ponce, Pell Harbor. Hey, Sid Rosenberg, you're out there with Lou, your, your uh, board operator in the morning, Lou Rafino, Broad Channel, Rockaway Beach. And you stare up and you see there's no more World Trade Center. There's a singular building where there used to be two. And you go back into your house tonight. And hopefully you remember your friends, your relatives, and others who perished and continue to perish. 
And then you turn on the TV and you see the bloody idolatry of the monarchy that put their jackboots in your necks for decades. And if you're part of that, then take a shillelagh, shred it, and impale yourself, please. End the misery, because you are ultraditor. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. You think there's any commemoration or memories of the attack on 9-11 in Los Angeles, the epicenter? Of so much of our videos, of our movies, to capture these historical moments for a future generation. You know how I learned about the um, concentration camps without a final solution put up on Cyprus by the British royalty and uh, the parliament against fleeing Jews who were leaving Europe after the Holocaust and then trying to work their way to Palestine and forced to be interned for two years. Yeah, some majesties, his highness, and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the movie The Exodus with Paul Newman, Otto Preminger was the director. I had to learn about that from a movie. From a movie. Because, you see, movies sometimes helped us fill the voids of the history that we should have been taught, if not in the house, in school, in our religious institutions, where the hell is the teaching going on about 9-11? And if we're not going to teach our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, in one of the places where we were attacked, New York City, the main attack, or in the Beltway in D.C., or in western Pennsylvania, where the heroes of that airline flight said, oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, we know we're going to die, but we're going to die as patriots. Roll them, roll them. And they attacked those hostage takers and those terrorists and forced the plane down into an empty field, whereas it would have crashed into our House of Representatives and our U.S. Senate there in the Capitol. That was the destination, and they would have succeeded in doing that. You think those are the people we should be honoring? I mean, I'm trying to remember their names, and I'm pretty good at this because, you know, I followed up on it. I would much rather see their names than the names of the deadbeats of the uh, monarchy. Oh, Megan. Oh, so Harry. William made amends, and they brought each other together. Who the hell cares? Who the hell cares? Our media spews the propaganda and what they should be doing. If anything, on this day, this day alone, devoid of politics, focus on how we were asleep at the wheel. As a reminder, it should never, ever, ever happen again, even though we know it's likely to because our leaders are asleep at the wheel. Let's go to Mike in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on our commemoration on WABC at 9-11, Mike. Curtis, how are you? Definitely not good, Mike. I know. It's, uh, this, is not, this is a sad day. Hey, I was in Manhattan. I was my one of my first jobs. And you've sparked a memory. I remember the express bus used to go into the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel in the morning, in the months following, and out were flattened cars coming the opposite way towards Staten Island. I'm from Staten Island originally. 
And you but sh- what I want to talk about was how do we teach this to the new generation? And you're going to think I'm odd, which I am, but put it into the format of a video game. Well, depending on how it's done, I would agree in video form on apps in all different ways that younger people get their information we have to force feed them this, Mike, because let's face it, it's not anything that most young youngsters would choose to look at. It's not roadblocks. You know, it's not any kind of normal video games. Uh, but you're right. We have to be creative because our schools are not doing it. I, I've asked for the last three days, how many of your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren were taught about 9-11 in the last few days? Not one call, Mike. Not one call. I'm, I'm right now. I'm in Pennsylvania. I came here for business, talking to a lady who's 68 years of age, and uh, same thing. She does some stubbing, and she says it's not being taught. How? How? You know, it's not like Pearl Harbor, where at least my generation, I'm 44, we would we were told about you know the sacrifices that were made. Nobody makes sacrifices anymore. I would guarantee you, Mike. Tomorrow when my sons return to their public school classrooms, you know what the discussion will be? Who's in the queue to eventually succeed King Charles III? You know, they'll be making charts. So it's William and this. Who the hell gives a flying flip, Mike? But, but one, one more point. I have an uncle who's a foreman, local 731. He tells me, in the months following as well, he was down there turn, turning off the gas mains that were spewing gas and, you know, flames into the air. And now he's got, I forget exactly what kind of cancer, but he was in the hospital about a year and a half ago for it was a major surgery. But he's on. Mike, you know what, you know what, they're, you know what they're telling people now who can trace their maladies, their cancer, their thyroid conditions, their breathing conditions for the time they spent at the world's largest crematorium, tough nuggies. Illegal aliens, oh, yeah, we're giving you health care. Prisoners, we give you health care. Americans who uh, risked their lives, didn't know what they were walking into, tough nuggies. Let's hopefully uh, you have a peaceful death. You don't have a tortured death. Imagine this. Look at what we're doing to ourselves and why there's a lack of patriotism and pride and self-esteem and being an American. We can't even teach the basic, the fundamentals. The attack on America was an attack on Western civilization and all that we value. Freedom of speech, the ability to get an education. The ability to be poor and impoverished and, yes, climb up the ladder where in these other countries, no. It's based on pedigree. It's based on privilege. And if you're in the lower caste, that's it. Tough noogies. That's where you stay. Talk Radio 77. WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Oh, I know. I didn't choose this song. End it, Rich. Cut it. Give it a brisk. Sheesh.
I leave it to Rich and the crew here to pick a song. And my God, what what do you think? Uh, that I'm Vinnie Madunio here. What do you think? I'm Cousin Brucey. What do you think? I'm Tony Orlando and Dawn. I, I'm not that kind of entertainer. No. It's the day that changed our lives forever. I just wish everybody else knew. Thank God for WABC, this home of ours that has dedicated 72 hours to focus on the attack of 9-11. And 77 WABC has joined the Tunnel the Towers Foundation for a special day of tribute that will continue right on up to 12 noon. And uh, I'll make it uh, very apparent to Dominic Carter, who comes on from 12 to 1 to continue on that, and to the Mameluke, Frank Morano. I understand he had guests on that were crying about the loss of the Queen. What the hell are you doing, Frank? How about people on crying about the loss of Americans, our friends, our neighbors? Staten Island, per person, per capita. More people died on Staten Island. More people got sick on Staten Island than anywhere else in the tri-state area. Anyway, it's a special day of tribute. Tunnel to Towers Foundation, 9-11 Remembrance. They do an excellent job. I've been with them since day one. First gatherings at the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, where we uh, followed the footsteps of uh, Stephen, who uh, dropped everything. Pulled out his bunker pants out of the back trunk of his car, ran through the tunnel, ran into the belly of the beast and his death. And I remember giving initial speeches. And to all of you out there, our enemies, let us put you on the Paradise Express and zoom you on up to our side. And after a while, oh, you can't, can't say that, Curtis. Yes, I can. Is this America? This is not England where you can't disparage the royalty and say other things. No, they don't have freedom of speech. We have it here. Remembering 9-11, 21 years later, on 77 WABC in a very, very different way than you're going to hear from anybody else. You know me. I don't pull any punches. I don't care. People have come up to me. It's, come on, Curtis. got to lay off the royalty. You know, you know, Her Majesty. Her what? Her what? You know what? 96 years of oppression. 96 years of using the monarchy to oppress people all over the world, you idiots. We had a revolution to be free of a monarchy. And some of you would actually, I think, prefer to have a king and a queen and go to a castle, stand outside of a castle, and wave, wave to royalty that you have to pay for every nickel, diamond, penny of monies that they use. They don't have their own money. It's the people's money, and they say they're doing charitable work. Now, whose money is that? Well, it's not our money. We're deadbeats. We're the biggest welfare cheats in the world. Wow. Let's go to Bob in Bayonne. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Hey, uh, good show there, uh, Curtis. is saying the things that need to be said. I wanted to just give you some good news. Um, I work security at the um, Cape uh, Liberty uh, cruise port in Bayonne. Uh, we uh, sailed, uh, loaded up the Oasis of the Seas for Royal Caribbean today, 5,500 passengers, and the terminal administrators, the longshoremen, uh, the security screeners and personnel of Terminal Security Solutions, the passengers and intercruise agents. We stood silent for a minute at uh, 10.03, and uh, let me tell you, you could hear a pin drop in the hall. 
It was over five, six hundred people in the hall, and it was it was great, uh, moving, a very moving uh, uh, memory of of what occurred. Uh, it was really it was a good thing. Bob, good thing. It also reminds me how New York City centric we are, not just here at WABC, but just the way we report the news. I remember on that day, many men and women were ferried across the Hudson River to Liberty State Park where they continued to watch the implosion take place at the World Trade Center. But Jersey, first and foremost, were able to get people to escape. Because remember, everything was in lockdown. There was no rail service. There was no bus service. All the bridges and tunnels were closed. So people trying desperately to get back to New Jersey, of which many people worked in lower Manhattan, had to depend upon people, I mean, with all kinds of craft, ferrying them across. It's almost like the evacuation and the beaches of Dunkirk, you know, at the start of World War II, in which the Brits had to be evacuated off that beach, or they would have faced annihilation at the hands of the Luftwaffe and the Nazis that basically were taking over France. That's true. I also want to mention to you that there's a, a teardrop memorial at the foot of the uh, cruise port. It was a donation. It's a moving monument in uh, granite and um, and steel. I believe steel from the World Trade. It was donated. Uh, hard to believe, but it was donated by Putin and the Russians in the 90s, as uh, in the uh, early 2000s, as a memorial to the people who perished on that day. Understood. And, uh, again, there are many communities in Nassau and Suffolk where they also have their memorials up in the Mid-Hudson Valley, in Westchester, Dutchess, in Orange, and throughout parts of New Jersey, northern New Jersey, and central New Jersey, where they have their little memorials, where they have remnants of the World Trade Center. They have them in their parks. They have them in, on public display. And uh, we never give enough attention and credit to all these local communities who have kept the tradition of memorializing the attack of 9-11 a lot. I'm going to give everyone an opportunity to to, uh, sort of recharge your batteries, go back to watching the orgy of coverage uh, for the fraudulent monarchy that has no, absolutely no consequence on anybody's life, does nothing for nobody but themselves. Go back. Go ahead. Watch the RG of coverage, our own Americans, instead of covering uh, this most solemn occasion, this most important day, commemoration of 9-11. And when I come back on the air at 9, I want to hear from anybody who can tell me if any of their children or grandchildren, whether at the elementary school level, pre-K level, junior high school level, high school level, college level, Graduate school level, PhDs, oh, me, I'm just a high school dropout, kicked to the curb by the Jesuits of Brooklyn Prep in my senior year. I never look back. But how come I can see what everyone else doesn't want to see? That in our education, where we spend billions of dollars, our taxes, property taxes throughout the tri-state area, they keep coming up because you're going to have to absorb these illegal alien children into your school system. You think it would be mandated that either days before the attack of 9-11 or days after that whole sections of a school day are devoted to memorializing and commemorating the attack of 9-11 and that we bring survivors in for assemblies or into the classroom to be able to explain what went on, like I had here, Governor Pataki, 
Secretary of State at that time for the Pataki administration, Randy Daniels, and Dan Weiss, who was lieutenant colonel of the New York State Troopers. Dan suffering medical ramifications. The state troopers are not covered. And so what does Kathy Crimewave Hoku uh, do? She said, well, we'll have to look into that now, you political whore. You say it now, right? You knew it all along as Lieutenant Governor for Cuomo and his government. Now you say, oh, well, we'll have to look into that. They're all political whores. All of them. Democrats, Republicans. They're down there for 9-11. Meantime, not a mention of ICE. The very agency started in the aftermath of the attack of 9-11 as part of Homeland Security that was run by former Governor Tom Ridge of Pennsylvania for Bush 43 ICE that was to go after people who overstayed their visas and to stop illegal aliens with criminal intent, including terrorists who intended to do harm on us, and we have vilified them. Was there a mention of ICE today at any of the commemorations? Of course not. Because what would Kathy Crimewave Hoko say? Oh, they're thugs. Eric Adams, thugs. We don't cooperate with them. We don't communicate with them. We don't have any relationships with Limigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service. No, they're the enemy. Not the terrorists. No. No, no, no. Not the gangbangers. No, no. Not the narco-terrorists. No, no, no. Not the sex traffickers. No, ICE. Limigre. Well, let me be the only one talking on behalf of these brave men and women who put on bulletproof vests every day before they go to work and have to get spat upon by the elected officials who have declared themselves to be sanctuary cities and have said not even no thank you, but F you. And they're all down there today. Oh, they're patting themselves on the back. Giggles, Vice President Harris. <laughs> With Eric Adams, the swagger man. How the hell are you smiling down at the memorial of 9-11? You. Oh, disgraziata. I'll be back nine. Hopefully somebody can tell me of some child that learned about 9-11 in our school system.